Good morning, Evergreen Online, on this MLK weekend. Last week was an emotional week in the history of our nation as we witnessed a coup attempt and insurrection in our nation's capital while in the midst of the worst part of this pandemic. Now, at the time of filming this service, and hopefully by the time you view it, there has not been an additional attack on our government and there have not been any more curveballs. But in the coming week, the inauguration will occur and tensions will again be high. And so we continue to cover our country in prayer, asking for peace in our divided nation, wisdom and morality for those in power, and protection for those, from those who would cause harm. Now today, we continue in our sermon series, Hidden, a journey through the book of Esther. And as I mentioned last week, the book of Esther is the perfect place for our current season. It was chosen because of where we find ourselves in the midst and intensity of this pandemic, but also because it would allow us to address any potential political unrest that might occur around the time of the inauguration. And well, here we are. Now, this is also a peculiar book of the Bible because it does not ever mention the name of God. His explicit presence is completely absent from the text. And I was thinking how some of us might feel that way right now. Like God's explicit presence is absent from the text of our lives or even the text of our nation. Now, we had all hoped that the new year would bring a swift change from the peril of 2020. Turns out a lot of the baggage that we accumulated last year is unfortunately being dragged into this year. And we might be wondering where God is in all of the chaos of the country. Now, I'm hopeful that the text of Esther will be an interesting and relevant way to see God emerge in both places, in the story itself, but in the story of your life, so that you might discover that even if God seems hidden, he's not absent. I also want to remind you that the book of Esther is meant to be digested in one swoop. This is so we can appreciate all the imagery and contrast between characters and props and actions and even the colors of the story. Now, although we're not able to do all of that, um, read it in one sitting through our worship service on Sunday, I encourage you to read it on your own. Or maybe check out the Esther Overview video by Bible Project on YouTube. That's a fun and fast way to get the gist of the story. I also think that as you read, you may find that the story evokes deeper insight into the current political situation as you compare the story's characters to the ones of our own national drama. This was actually a way the book was used in the past, to read the current political situation into the text and allow the text and the story to speak back. I think that as we read it, we'll find the same thing can be true to us. Now, two weeks ago, I introduced the main characters of the story. I hope you like the characterization that our pastors gave. Last week, because of the insurrection, we talked about Esther's profound calling in a critical moment much like we find ourselves in. But this week, as we get back on track, we're gonna start exploring the characters of the story and we're gonna start by considering the role of Queen Vashti. Now, Queen Vashti is only mentioned in the first chapters of the book and then she disappears completely from the narrative. But in those first two chapters, she makes quite an impact and gives us a lot of stuff to chew on. Now, the tale of Esther opens with introducing Queen Vashti and Xerxes, the king of Persia. The book records Xerxes 
to rule over 127 provinces in his empire. And on the third year of his reign, he holds this massive party for all of his nobles and officials that lasts over six months. Now, during the last week of this six-month party, he has a special party where everyone in the kingdom is invited and everyone is allowed to drink as much royal wine as they wanted to. Think of an open bar that's open for seven days straight. That's a lot of money spent and a lot of drunk people. But all this extravagance is simply to show how rich and powerful the king is. He has such excess of wealth and power that he can waste it on the entire kingdom for half of a year. Now at the end of this massive party, on the last day of this final seven-day party, the king is really drunk and he decides that he wants to show off one final possession to everyone, his queen. So he commands his eunuchs to go to the queen, who, by the way, is hosting her own party for all the women of the palace. And they command her to come, come before the king so that he can show her off to everyone to show off how beautiful she is. But when the eunuchs go to the queen, she refuses to come. And as you can imagine, the this really infuriates the king. The text says that when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come, and the king became furious and burned with anger. Now, in the ancient world, this act that Vashti committed was seen as a huge humiliation for men because they couldn't control their women. And so his emotions are understandable here. But for someone so rich and powerful and who is so offended by this, his immediate reaction is really weird. What he does is he gathers his legal team and he asks them what to do. It's like he goes to them and says, hey, Vashti didn't listen to me, the king. And so legally, what course of action can I take? Now the legal team, which apparently is composed of a lot of insecure men, warn the king that if word gets out, all the other women in the kingdom are going to see Vashti as an example and they in turn will be disrespectful to their husbands as well. Basically, these advisors are afraid that their wives will get the idea in their head that they don't have to be treated like objects by their husbands. Who would, who would have thought, right? So they advise the king to write a decree and send it to all 127 provinces stating that every man is to be the head of his household and that Queen Vashti is to be stripped of her royal position and never to be in the king's presence again. Now, it's not clear in the text, but some believe Vashti may have even been killed for humiliating the king. And from the rest of the story, it seems like this could be in line with what Xerxes might do. Now, in the Talmud, the ancient collection of Jewish writings, Vashti's character is remembered as being the granddaughter of King Nebuchadnezzar, who carried the Jews off into exile. What this background legend offers us is it helps us understand that Vashti was not just any old ordinary woman. She was of royal lineage, Babylonian by birth, Persian by marriage, a hybrid mix of the Jewish people's most powerful enemies. I do want to point out that Vashti's story does sound like a tale of a strong woman that spoke out against the patriarchy. You consider the way that Xerxes treats Vashti, the council of men who were trying to um, use their power and 
abuse women, uh, the, the degree that subjugates all the, the females and the wives in the land to, uh, because of Vashti's or Xerxes' humiliation. Many modern interpreters have seen this, have seen Vashti's defiance as an example of feminism and of self-respecting womanhood. And it's easy to see why, because her act, her single act is so courageous and, and inspiring. She rebels against being objectified from a man that holds all the power in the land. And she rebels against the entire system. But I think that Vashti's character also shows us a different aspect of the story. Compared to Esther, Vashti has such an opposite backstory, right? She's of royal birth. Vashti's uh, wealthy. She has power, well, at least more than any other woman in the, in the empire. She's strong and confident and of a people who were also conquerors. She was under the king, but she also seemed to be over all the other women of the land. And even though she succeeds in humiliating Xerxes, she still falls victim, though, to the enormous power of Xerxes, who again punishes all women in the empire because of her defiance. And so Vashti's character shows us exactly how powerful Xerxes is, because not even his strong, royal, and confident queen has any real freedom or power. And as we compare her then to Esther, we recognize how completely powerful Esther is in the face of this empire and king. And we're invited to consider how Esther must have felt that if Queen Vashti couldn't stand up to the power of this king, who am I to do so? This is the place where Jews have found themselves throughout history, powerless and vulnerable to their evil opposition. And this is where you might find yourself today, feeling overwhelmed, overpowered, and weary by the current events. On this Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend, we are reminded that one of the greatest civil rights and faith heroes of this country fought against these vast, overwhelming dark forces of personal and systemic racism. Can you imagine doing so? I think he understood this because I was listening to the story about Dr. King and it talked about when he first got chosen as a person to sort of, sort of lead this movement, he didn't want to. And can you blame him? He understood how big this was. And now in 2021, we recognize that this fight is not even close to being over. Dr. King's vision, as beautiful as it was, is not complete. And the battle against racism is still being fought in this country. And you might be discouraged then. If Dr. King couldn't defeat this, what hope is there? In this 10th month of the coronavirus pandemic, we are reminded of the combined heroic efforts by all of the frontline workers, especially those in the medical field, our doctors and nurses and staff, those researching treatments and cures for this virus. They're fighting tirelessly, bravely, day after day, and now we have vaccines that are actually making their way into people's arms. But yet here we are at the epicenter of the pandemic in Los Angeles County, one in three being infected. The vaccines are here, but the city is still sick and dying. And you might feel weary. The vaccine doesn't bring relief. What hope can I have against this global catastrophe? And on the week of the presidential inauguration, we're reminded of the 244-year-old democratic government that we participate in. No matter your political affiliation, Republican, Democrat, whatever, one thing we could always count on was the peaceful transition of power and the sense of security 
that we relied on during a national election. And yet here we are. For the first time in our history, our Capitol building has been invaded. A coup attempt has been made and we are hearing that there may be additional acts of violence in every state this week. Not just protesting the results of the election, but trying to overthrow those results. You may be viewing all these shocking historical events on television, sitting there feeling completely powerless to do anything but watch as the nation endures a deeply turbulent season. Now, perhaps it's the political turmoil, the culture's injustice, or the deadly pandemic that feels exhausting to your body and soul. Maybe it's all of this and more that weighs upon you. And like Esther, you feel like all this is too big. It's too much. Who am I to stand up to these cultural, political, and viral forces? What Vashti and Esther show us is that what we need is not simply more influence or power, because Vashti had that and it didn't help. True deliverance does not come from merely finding a way into the royal court and pleasing the king, which we could say some of our politicians looks like they've been trying to do. But Esther eventually got all of that influence. And the story, though, the story of Esther is doomed to repeat itself if, she, if Esther thinks that all she needed was to be in the position of queen. Sometimes not even that helps. Sometimes what we're up against is too big. All of this leaves us feeling powerless and overwhelmed, just like Esther. She's the character in the story with the least amount of power, the one with the most disadvantaged background, the person compared to Vashti who is not bold, who does not make a defiant stance, the one who is even scared because she knows the potential consequences of her actions. But it's at this point of being overwhelmed, of feeling like this is too much, this is too big, this is too powerful for me to fight against. And God is nowhere to be seen where the story of Esther reminds us that these are the moments when God makes his move. And as with Esther, God often does it through those we least expect. You see, the story of Esther invites us to trust that, to trust the God who works behind the scenes in the story, a God who is active but not necessarily obvious. And it's only when we are able to read the entire story that we can look back and see God's hand. Beloved, this week, let's put our trust in that God, whatever happens. Mm -hmm.